Good afternoon. You are listening to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst. Welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny. I'll be with you for the next half hour, along with my co-host, Rebecca. Joining us in our virtual studio this afternoon are Amar Ahmad and Brian Garvey, um, both working with Massachusetts Peace Action. If you are undercurrents aficionados, and of course, how could you resist? You will remember here having heard Brian and Amar speak on issues of war and peace in previous shows. And of course, you can always find those shows um, on our, our undercurrents archive. Today, we're going to be talking about current developments in the Middle East. Well, they're not really current, but maybe current news flashes in the Middle East um, with President Biden newly coming to the um, head of US foreign policy. And not that long ago, actually declared or announced that the US was going to stop selling arms to Saudi Arabia in an attempt to wind down the horrific war that Saudi Arabia has been waging on Yemen, say Saudi Arabia has been waging along with um, significant help from the United States. We're aiming to change that. So let's start by updating listeners on what the current situation is with the US and um, Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Brian, thanks. So uh, the, the U.S., Saudi, and, and UAE uh, war on Yemen uh, has been raging now uh, since 2015, uh, and it remains uh, ongoing. Um, this is largely uh, in the form of uh, an economic blockade that has been imposed uh, on Yemen, uh, as well as uh, repeated uh, and basically continuous airstrikes uh, by the Saudi coalition uh, on the people uh, of Yemen. Uh, that has unfortunately led uh, to one of the poorest countries in the world and the poorest country in the Middle East, Yemen, uh, and its people uh, uh, struggling with issues of disease uh, and famine. Uh, as a result of both the airstrikes uh, and the blockade. Uh, and this, has, this effort has largely been facilitated uh, by the United States uh, and our Western allies. Uh, the equipment that the Saudi coalition uses is largely uh, made by the United States. We're talking US fighter planes and, and bombers, as well as mus munitions uh, uh, that have been devastating uh, Yemen. And this started under the Obama administration and continued throughout uh, the Trump administration. And one of the promises that pres now President Joe Biden made on the campaign trail uh, was to reverse uh, these policies and to end U.S. participation in the war in Yemen uh, in line with what both houses of Congress in a very historic move uh, voted to do, uh, imposing the War Powers Resolution, uh, which said that the president, uh, then Donald Trump, did not have a right, did not have congressional authorization uh, to be taking the United States uh, into a war uh, on Yemen. Uh, so uh, uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, as a, of airtime, uh, uh, President Biden uh, made an address at the State Department uh, and said uh, that the US would no longer be supporting offensive uh, operations 
in Yemen and therefore uh, would be suspending relevant arms sales. Uh, so this is definitely a step in the right direction uh, as opposed to Trump's policy, uh, which was to veto uh, any resolution by Congress restricting those arms sales or our involvement in the war. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it was not crystal clear and does raise some questions. What do relevant arms sales mean? What do offensive operations mean? Uh, even going back as far as 2015, uh, this effort was uh, described as a defensive uh, uh, war uh, to protect Saudi Arabia. Obviously, that is nothing could be further from the truth. As the United Nations says, uh, they have created the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe uh, in Yemen through repeated offensive uh, uh, strikes, many of them on civilians and civilian infrastructure leading to that, uh, to that famine uh, and disease. Uh, another thing that greatly concerns us about uh, Biden's announcement is he committed the United States to the continued defense of Saudi Arabian uh, sovereignty. And that concerns us uh, because we don't feel that the United States should be committing itself uh, to the defense of Saudi Arabia, uh, which is uh, one of the worst human rights abusers in the world today, both in Yemen and within its own country. Okay. Let me just clarify or ask you to emphasize um, one point you said arms sales. So I'm inferring that most of the US aid was in terms of arms sales, which means that there's an economic motive um, in the U United States to continue that type of support. That was a question. Yeah, there, there certainly is. Uh, uh, we, we deal with it uh, particularly. The connection is, is that uh, arms manufacturer Raytheon, second largest weapons producer, uh, is located right here in Massachusetts, headquartered. They have facilities all over the world, including uh, in Saudi Arabia. And uh, they also have massive political influence, uh, as well as the other weapons manufacturers. Just for example, uh, Trump's former Secretary of Defense, uh, Mark Esper, was uh, the leading lobbyist for Raytheon before joining that administration. And the current Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin, uh, comes to the Biden administration straight off the board of directors uh, from Raytheon Technologies. So uh, uh, there is huge political and financial economic uh, uh, influence to be considered here. Uh, but the U.S. is also uh, uh, giving Saudi Arabia logistical support, uh, intelligence support. Some of that is ending now. Um, uh, according to Joe Biden, it remains to be seen uh, how much of that will be implemented. But even the spare parts uh, that we give the Saudi Air Force, uh, uh, they, the Saudi Air Force essentially cannot fly uh, without continued U.S. support. So it's, it's almost in every aspect. Amar, I cut you off before. I think you were probably talking about where the conversation was going towards the U.S. continuing to support Saudi Arabia as an ally. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, the U.S. supporting Saudi Arabia as an ally and uh, Saudi's uh, involvement in this war in Yemen with, with our support, it, it really highlights uh, quite blatantly the hypocrisy in U.S. foreign policy because um, we often hear from our politicians, our leaders, and our media 
about uh, U.S. foreign policy spreading democracy and uh, fighting people because they abuse human rights. Um, Saudi Arabia, with our support and our green light, is uh, committing massive human rights violations in, in Yemen and also within their own country against women and against minority groups. So um, it, it just really highlights the hypocrisy of U.S. foreign policy. Um, when Brian and I and others were on January 25th protesting the war in Yemen in Boston, one of the places where we uh, rallied at was the Irish Famine Memorial. And um, somebody, uh, one of the speakers who has a historical background about the Irish famine uh, made the point that the Irish famine, uh, just like this famine in Yemen, it's caused uh, not by uh, not by like physical conditions, but it's caused by policy decisions. There's 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 policy decisions being made at high levels, which is which is causing uh, uh, this famine, uh, both both in Ireland back then and in Yemen now. And um, you know, it's just uh, the the thing is, uh, uh, children are starving. The pictures of them are really heartbreaking. As I mentioned uh, in, in our last program here, we've bombed uh, school buses of children, we've bombed weddings, we've bombed funerals uh, of innocent people. And uh, we, we say that uh, we're fighting a war on terror because terrorists have killed innocent people. Well, when we kill innocent people, then how does that make us any different morally than the people that we claim to be fighting? So now that both of you have brought up this topic, uh, the lack of clarity in Biden's announcement and uh, his administration's steadfast uh, defense of Saudi Arabia, um, in so many ways that kind of sets the dial back just four years, reverting back to Obama era tactics and uh, diplomatic attitudes. So how do we go further than those tactics and attitudes and what can uh, kind of ground level activists do to demand that the government goes further. How about Brian and then Amar? I think we need to uh, hold President Biden um, to some of the promises that he made on the campaign trail. Uh, on the campaign trail, he said uh, he was going to make Saudi Arabia uh, a pariah state. Um, and, and that is quite different uh, than committing ourselves to their defense uh, it's really quite uh, incompatible. Another thing that he said uh, on the campaign trail uh, was that uh, replacing Donald Trump would not be enough. It's not enough to go back uh, to the normal state of affairs uh, before Trump, because that's how we got uh, a right-wing uh, reaction. Uh, it's also been promised in the Democratic Party platform uh, that we are going to end our forever wars, especially uh, in the Middle East. Um, so uh, like many campaign promises, uh, uh, activists need to uh, actively uh, hold politicians uh, to account. Uh, so that means getting in touch with the administration, getting in touch with members of Congress who are champions uh, around this issue. Uh, because we believe that this is not only a moral issue uh, and incredibly uh, necessary, uh, but it's also a, a political issue. Uh, the people of this country want our forever wars to end. They don't support uh, Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. Uh, so uh, by making these achievements and doing so quickly, uh, we can actually build political capital and, uh, and 
it could be good politics uh, for the Biden administration. Yeah, and uh, I'll just uh, piggyback on that and say, like, along with uh, the Biden administration, as Brian mentioned, we also really need to have a really active role in uh, speaking to our members of Congress, meeting with them. Just today, um, Brian and I and others from Mass Peace Action, we met with Congressman Jim McGovern, and he told us the importance of pressuring Congress for not just the war in Yemen, but all peace issues or any issue for that matter, healthcare or environment. Um, they really need to hear from us. If they don't hear from us, they will be hearing from the lobbyists. I interned in Congress and the lobbyists were coming in and out um, all day, every day. And uh, so, so the, the public really has a role to, to, to meet with uh, their, their members of Congress. Um, we, we, we met with uh, Con Congressman McGovern today and he, he again stressed the importance of public pressure. We're meeting uh, with another member of Congress tomorrow from Massachusetts. So if anybody's listening and they're interested in uh, lobbying members of Congress for peace, they could reach out to Mass Peace Action. We're constantly meeting our members of Congress. We're constantly meeting our senators. We're studying these issues and we're going to our members with specific asks. The more people we go with, the more they hear from us. Um, they, they, they need that pressure. They want that pressure. When, when, when the constituents pressure them, it strengthens their negotiating position when they, when they are negotiating with either the Republicans or uh, senior leaders within the Democratic Party. When, uh, when, when leadership, whether it's Democrat or Republican, is saying things like, uh, oh, we need to be strong allies with Saudi Arabia for whatever reason, or we need to stay uh, in Afghanistan for another 20 years. Uh, the, these members of Congress are more empowered when they have constituents and they can tell their leaders, like, look, I have the constituents on my back. I need to support an end to the war in Yemen. Otherwise, I won't win re-election. So, um, so, so, so pressuring Congress, join with our group, Mass Peace Action. There's other groups, Code Pink, uh, World Beyond War. There's many other groups. So, so find a group of people, join with us, pressure Congress, have conversations like this. Uh, we're so grateful to Undercurrents Radio for bringing us on and allowing us to speak about this because uh, conversations like this are much more limited in the mainstream media. So uh, keep uh, platforming people and uh, for the listeners, talk to your families, family and friends about it and join Mass Peace Action. Let me, um, thank you. And let me ask you more about this. If you're talking to a congressperson or someone else, family, friends, and the counter argument is we need to have this strong ally of Saudi Arabia. Yes, it's terrible that people are dying, but we need to have this strong ally in the Middle East. What do you say to that? Um, Brian? I, I would say that Saudi Arabia has not been uh, a good ally uh, of the United States. Uh, it's uh, an open secret uh, in Washington uh, that Saudi Arabia is uh, a fountainhead. And, and we have seen this through uh, released uh, emails um, uh, that Saudi Arabia is the source for uh, a lot of international terrorism. Uh, that targets uh, the United States uh, and its allies. Your listeners may remember that 15 of the 19 uh, hijackers uh, on September 11, 2001 uh, were from Saudi Arabia. 
uh, that Osama bin Laden uh, was not not only a Saudi Arabian national, but uh, uh, a member of a billionaire family uh, from Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, our, our alliance uh, with Saudi Arabia uh, has not been ha has not been fruitful. Um, uh, I would say uh, that there are, are, are many concerns uh, in terms of human rights, uh, in terms of uh, uh, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who was a US permanent resident, as well as a, an author for the Washington Post. He was murdered on the orders of the Saudi Arabian government uh, in Istanbul. Um, uh, these, these concern me greatly. Uh, and. Uh, and the reason uh, behind our longtime alliance with Saudi Arabia is uh, that they are uh, a massive uh, oil producer. Um, but uh, our policy should change uh, because the United States uh, is now uh, a net exporter uh, of petroleum. We no longer rely on uh, oil supplies from Saudi Arabia. And of course, with the concerns of climate change, uh, we do not want uh, uh, to encourage uh, uh, that oil uh, from being spread around the world. We would like it to remain uh, in the ground uh, for the sake of our planet. Amari. Yeah, and I'll just add to that to answer your question. Again, this point about the hypocrisy in U.S. foreign policy. So either we're going to be allies with a country like Saudi Arabia but then we can't say that we're for freedom and democracy when they're uh, oppressing people in their own country and people in Yemen. So either either we're we're going to be for freedom and democracy and not be strong allies with a country like Saudi Arabia and Israel and arm them to the teeth as they oppress populations, or we can continue being allies with these countries and stop saying we're for freedom and democracy. So if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Undercurrents here on WMUA. Our guests in our virtual studio this afternoon are Brian Garvey and Amara Maud, who work with Mass Peace Action. We're talking about um, steps that President Biden has made in terms of cutting off military aid to Saudi Arabia and further steps that need to be made in the US policy. Um, since we have about 10 minutes left, um, I'd like to switch gears a little bit, but of course there's going to be overlap in these topics. And um, Iran and US foreign policy have also been on the front page news recently. Um, would you like to share some thoughts about that situation and what the US is doing? Um, Amari, would you like to kick off this time? Sure, yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, the, these issues are deeply interconnected when President Obama was negotiating the Iran nuclear deal, which I thought was the highlight of his foreign policy, maybe the highlight of his presidency, um, Saudi Arabia was upset at that. They, Saudi Arabia and Iran are not allies. And uh, Obama to placate Saudi Arabia, greenlit their war in Yemen. So, so part of the reason the war in Yemen is taking place is because Obama uh, uh, negotiated this Iran nuclear deal. Um, Iran, uh, Obama worked so hard to negotiate the Iran nuclear deal 
We had on Trita Parsi, who is one of the leading experts of US-Iran relations. He spent 15 years working on the Iran nuclear deal, 15 years. And then Trump wins and comes and tears up the Iran nuclear deal, undid 15 years of work. So uh, Biden uh, campaigned on re-entering the nuclear deal. That was a source of hope for us. Um, ever since uh, ever, ever since he's won the election, he's dragged his feet on it. There hasn't been a swift movement into it, which again, Trita Parsi stressed the need for swift movement in the Iran nuclear deal. Iran has elections coming up in June, I believe. And uh, because of the way we negotiated this deal with them and we exited the deal through President Trump, we exited the deal. We've empowered the hardliners in Iran in this election coming up who are running on a platform of, we shouldn't even uh, negotiate with the US because they just negotiate with us and then break their promises. So, so uh, the, the point was we had to re-enter the deal fast and we had to re-enter it without additional conditions as it was pre-negotiated under Obama because if we add additional conditions, that could be a non-starter. So Trump withdrew from the deal, then he added sanctions to Iran and, and the sanctions are devastating uh, the Iranian people, not really the leadership as much as regular working people, children and women and poor people and the elderly. So, um, so we need to end the sanctions on Iran and other countries and we need to re-enter the deal. Uh, Biden campaigned on it, so we were hopeful he was going to do it. But within the Biden staff, uh, there's a lot of people from the previous Obama staff who originally negotiated the deal, so that was a sign of hope. Uh, Robert Malley, for example. But there's others who, uh, like Jake Sullivan, for example, who've made comments here and there about uh, adding additional conditions and putting the onus on Iran for leaving the deal, which just factually isn't even true. Um, so, uh, Brian, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, uh, by exiting the deal, uh, as, as Donald Trump did very recklessly, we were not only breaking our word uh, to Iran, we also broke our word to our European allies, uh, the UK, uh, France, and Germany, as well as to Russia uh, and China. It's part of the reason why the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, was such a landmark achievement, uh, as Amar described it. It's very difficult uh, to get all the countries that I just listed, plus Iran, uh, to agree to a deal. And then you get President Trump coming in like a wrecking ball. Uh, I think uh, largely for reasons of spite, he wanted to undermine the achievements of his predecessor. Uh, he came in and, and ripped up that deal, a deal that according to our European allies and the Russians and the Chinese, uh, Iran was continuing to live up uh, to that agreement. And it, it, was an, it led us to an incredibly dangerous time uh, during the Trump administration. Uh, on three separate occasions, at least, we were brought to the brink uh, of war with Iran. Uh, which could have been, I, it can't, you can't uh, overstate how horrible uh, a war with Iran would be. Military experts say it could, could be 10 times as worse as, as the war in Iraq, uh, a, a conflict that could have uh, defined our country for a generation. Um, so uh, 
now that we have dodged that and we were very lucky to do so, uh, it, it took a lot of work from activists and a lot of restraint uh, from the Iranians to be, to be candid about it, uh, to avoid that war. Uh, uh, we should learn from that experience uh, and, and get back into the mode of diplomacy. Uh, uh, take, take a step back uh, from a war footing, uh, uh, from, from having offensive forces close to Iran in a very provocative way, economic sanctions that are hurting their people and their ability to fight COVID-19. Uh, we need to take a step back from that and get back on the past path to peace with Iran. Uh, because diplomacy is, uh, I think all of us can agree, uh, far preferable uh, to war. So following up on that statement, uh, Rebecca has a question. Sure. Um, so we just touched on, not touched on, but we discussed the Iran nuclear deal and re-entering that um, and maybe quitting mollifying uh, Saudi Arabian interests. Um, so could we just, before we, before we close, Jenny, um, talk about what like actionable, measurable steps the US can take to sever this protracted relationship that we have with Saudi Arabia? Well, I think one step that we could take uh, uh, right away, and, and this is something that we need to, we need to see advancements uh, on from the Biden administration, is uh, we need to stop recognizing the government in exile uh, uh, of, of Yemen. This is largely what the war uh, is about. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia and the United States recognize uh, uh, President Hadi um, who was actually driven from the country over five years ago at this point uh, and is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we, need to, we need to pull back from that and, and say that the future of Yemen uh, belongs to the Yemeni people. Uh, it should not, their leadership should not be imposed uh, on them from the United States or, or from Saudi Arabia. Uh, and, and we also need uh, a declaration uh, that if Saudi Arabia does not change its behavior, uh, there should be consequences. Uh, and we, we have said that we will stop giving them relevant arms sales for offensive uh, weapons, but we need, to, we need to tell them clearly that uh, if they don't change their behavior, uh, we're gonna stop supporting them in other ways. We're going to stop uh, all arms sales, uh, all military equipment. Omar, did you have something you wanted to add? Quickly, we have two minutes left or less now. No, I, no, not really. I think Brian covered it. I mean, I, yeah, I would just uh, support that the idea. I mean, I think I think we should end all arms sales uh, to Saudi Arabia, regardless, um, because uh, j just off their human rights record, if nothing else, mm. um, yeah. I, I don't think mm -hmm. we should be selling arms to to countries like Saudi Arabia. And intelligence sharing, we're telling them where the quote unquote terrorist is and then they bomb it and it turns out to be a school bus full of children or a wedding or something. We need to end arms sales, we need to end intelligence sharing, we need uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to stop feeling like he can do whatever he wants and that the US will back him for it, so. 
So we've been talking with um, Brian and Amar from Mass Peace Action. Folks, if you're listening, you want more information on these intertwined issues of war and peace, U.S. foreign policy, take a look at the Mass Peace Action website. It's not hard to find. You can also check out um, the Undercurrents archive of shows. Just search, type into a search engine, Anchor FM, Undercurrents, WMUA, and you can hear Brian and Amar uh, discussing other issues. You can hear about the threat of nuclear war. You can hear about greening the economy, all related to the things that we've been talking about today. Um, these guys do an amazing job. They didn't really have time to talk about the day of action, except that was mentioned, the day of action to stop the war in Yemen. Congratulations on that. And now I see our 29 minutes are up. So thank you very much, um, Brian and Omar, for joining us here on Undercurrents. And Rebecca, thanks for joining us too. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye.